Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. And as you know, September's theme is all about personal development. And this week, we're focusing on the power of mentoring. And to join me in talking about this more is Karen Choi. Karen is the director of Two Trees Consultancy, specializing in enhancing inclusion in the workplace. Two Trees collaborates with organizations from the public, private, and third sectors, facilitating them to find viable routes to enhance inclusion through consultancy training and coaching. Karen is also collaboration development manager for the White Rose University Consortium. She's an inclusive leader with 20 years of experience working in six research intensive universities, both in the UK and Hong Kong. She's a trusted expert in collaborative research across the regional White Rose area and international worldwide universities network partners. She's a positive energizer, generating enthusiasm and outstanding performances others. She's also the co-chair of Women at Leeds Network, which comprises 1,100 members, creating opportunities for them to transform their lives, and mentoring discussions are a key part of this. So Karen, a huge welcome to the show. Thank you, Leila. So it's great to have you on, and I just read out your bio about Two Trees Consultancy and the work you do with the Right Rose Consortium, but I think it's always really nice for listeners to hear more about you from yourself, uh, you know, why you set up Two Trees Consultancy and the work that you've been doing. Yeah, so um, I work for the White Rose University Consortium as my day job, and my job usually involves bringing people together and building teams of very talented people and create opportunities. So based on that, I've been working with um, the Women at Least Network as well. And um, I created or set up the Two Trees Consultancy because I see there is a huge gap in my experience that a lot of the inclusion work, they might have um, huge, they can have potential, potentially huge impact. However, a lot of the opportunities are missed because the actual actions are not carried out uh, thoroughly. So um, the Two Trees Consultancy, we, uh, we believe that if something that doesn't work for one tree, it's going to affect the other trees. So one of the first things that I am starting to do with the Two Trees is um, to start a podcast where we would invite people to talk about their experience and um, about mentoring and to kind of share any tips or maybe actually bring along uh, some mentors and mentees to share their first-hand experience as well. So that's the um, one of the first initiatives. Thanks so much, Karen. And so how did you become fascinated or really interested in the mentoring process? What did, what, what, you know, what's the story behind that? Yeah, I think I'm quite uh, privileged to have been able to meet many different people. And I've worked with six uh, Russell Group universities and I have been kind of working in different places. I've worked in Hong Kong as well. And I've seen people benefiting from having mentors or benefiting from actually mentoring people as well. So um, in my experience, I both a mentor and mentee. So I have uh, a, a couple of mentees myself. So I mentor them and they are from the UK and they are from South Africa. And I am also quite lucky to have a couple of very close mentors that have been working with me for a couple of years. So in, in my experience and, and actually in my role working for the Women at Least Network or, or, or being a co-chair of the Women at Least Network is that um, we also help in institutional mentoring scheme. And there are sometimes opportunities that we can see that um, 
institutional scheme that work and sometimes how how it can be better to reach more people or people who definitely need them. So I think I'm safe in the system. But I don't think every mentoring scheme works. And I think there might be missed opportunities when when it only lasts for, I don't know, three sessions and one hour each session. And then when it's finished, it finishes. So I think if there's a platform or there's a podcast somewhere where the kind of secret talks or, or, or kind of uh, discussions in this sort of very intimate mentoring uh, discussion can be shared with wider audience, then it can help kind of inform or impact, influence more people who might benefit from the program. Because I also think there's, um, there's more demand uh, for mentor than the uh, supply. So there, there are a lot of mentees out there who are eager to find a mentor, but they might be able, some of them might be able to find good mentors, but some might not. So they, it will be helpful to have some kind, kind of less formal, or some like, like the podcast that I mentioned, that if, if my podcast can help these mentees to kind of understand themselves better and to kind of help them find a, a mentor better, then it, it might be useful for them. So that's the kind of background. Yeah, and so then on that word mentoring, and you talked about being a mentor, having mentees, what does the term mentoring mean to you? We know there's an official definition, which you might like to pick up on as well, but what really should be happening in that relationship? What does mentoring mean to you and how should it be transformational? In my personal experience of being a mentor and being a mentee, there's this sort of almost like standard learning sheets where you kind of follow the instructions when your mentor should meet with you and set um, sets up some goals and how the mentor can actually help you achieve those goals, etc. And as a mentee, you're supposed to kind of uh, set your, what you want to achieve through that relationship, etc. And that mentoring, the term, what it means to me is um, it's like a relationship, a professional relationship between the mentor and the mentee to help the mentee to kind of progress their career. But in the meantime, the mentor might also uh, learn and it's like contributing back to the community, but also learn from the mentee who, who might usually be less experienced to um, kind of help them grow their capability and sometimes capacity as well, how they manage their time, et cetera. So I think mentoring is it's like almost like a, a close relationship with your teacher, but this teacher can help you with more like, um, it can be a life, work-life balance or, or something that you set your targets on. It can be career development, et cetera. But I think a lot of time the, the, the term mentoring can be seen as very formal or it can be like, it, it started in the end. But I think sometimes if you have a very good mentor or a very good mentee, it can be a, it can last a very long time. It can be a lifelong relationship. So if it's a lifelong relationship, there will be like personal and professional elements to it. And I think for me, my mentor are very close to me personally as well. So I feel that this kind of professional and personal relationship is helpful for me to develop my capability as a mentee. And that also helped me to build my uh, confidence to become a, a good mentor myself. Really, really beautifully put, Karen, and succinctly put. And you also mentioned before, you know, some of these mentoring programs in workplaces may not work because it's three me it may be three meetings, an hour each. So what do you think needs to happen for these mentoring relationships to flourish in the workplace? Because in the mentoring relationship, we assume the mentor have more experience, the mentee is like maybe younger or less experienced. 
but a lot of time or, or in, in my culture where I come from, uh, I'm from Hong Kong originally, so Chinese is my first language. And in one of the things that I learned in Chinese before is that um, there are things that you learn first and there are things that you learn later. And also you might have your specialization. You might, be, you might specialize in one thing and you might not specialize in other things. But in, in short, what it means is that the, the mentor might know something the mentee doesn't, but the mentee can also learn something, know something that the mentor doesn't know. I hope I'm making sense here. So yeah. in relationship, there's a dynamics in it that the mentee might have something to contribute in that relationship, not just to be taught or to be mentored. So that relationship can be dynamic and that can be, and that's why sometimes there are schemes that call reverse mentoring or something that maybe less experienced people can actually inform and influence the more experienced or people with more power. So this relationship is quite interesting, but in the two trees um, uh, philosophy, let me, let me put it, is that um, if, there, if the environment is good for inclusion, then it should be an environment that benefits both the mentor and the mentee. And I'm hoping that that mentoring pro process, it can be like building a relationship between the mentor and the mentee. In the meantime, it can be a dynamic relationship between the two. So that relationship is almost collaborative and both of them get something out of it, not just passively. The mentor is, you know, helping the mentee, but the mentee can also kind of help the mentor grow their kind of expertise, etc. So I, I don't know if I'm confusing you or am I making my point clear? No, that makes absolute sense. I, I think the word that you use was dynamic. And I think that's such an important word in mentoring because it shouldn't be stagnant. It shouldn't be tick boxy. And I do have an episode about reciprocity in a mentoring relationship. If anyone wants to check it out, it's episode 128 um, that picks up on a lot of points that you've mentioned, Karen, about you know how we can all learn from each other. And yes, traditionally, you might think it's someone senior and someone junior, which often mentoring is, but that it's not just a one-way exchange of information, ideas, and thoughts. So well said, Leila. <laughs> and so I also wanted to ask you, you know, you talked about being from Hong Kong and um, your first language being uh, Chinese. I don't know, was it Mandarin or Cantonese? And so from our collective Asian backgrounds, what do you think the biggest challenges are for people like us? Um, and that's a really big group of people. Um, but as diaspora communities, accessing a mentor that's going to understand our cultural frameworks. Uh, that's a very good question, Leila. Um, I think I, I'm from um, Hong Kong, so it's Cantonese. I speak Cantonese, uh, but I do speak very good Mandarin, and I used to teach Mandarin to my Hong Kong uh, uh, people. Then, um, but the um, the thing here is that I do feel that sometimes the people that I know from Asian or, or Hong Kong background or Chinese background, sometimes we are not especially proactive in sort of finding or, or actively targeting and, and finding a, a mentor ourselves and the process itself is so if there's a scheme and you if there's a kind of university run scheme you you apply for it then there, there might be people but I don't I see I think I can see an underrepresentation of um, people from my background applying for um, a mentoring scheme and and let alone being a man, mentor themselves and I do feel that there are lots of stereotyping sometimes um, I mean I don't see many um, people from Hong Kong background or Chinese background who speak out as much as I do. And I, I sometimes in, in, I find myself the only person, only Chinese person in a, in a meeting room. And, and like, if I'm speaking out or louder, it's almost like not, not very polite or 
I mean, there, there are there are so many people in Hong Kong and China. You know, there it, it, there are people who are more proactive. There are people who are more kind of active or to to find a mentor. So I don't I don't want to generalize it here, but I think it would be helpful that there are um, schemes that will kind of help them to to more open up the opportunities and so they can they can access these sort of opportunities better. But again, this cultural thing, I'm, I happen to be mentoring a white male colleague who are, I believe, younger than myself. And they are a little bit like in the, in initially, it's, um, it's like we, our relationship is quite unusual because usually it would be like um, maybe a, a male white colleague mentoring uh, other diverse uh, mentees but in our relationship it worked really well and I think uh, my um, mentee really enjoyed the process and did um did do a lot of I think he, he did a pro he, he get a promotion as well and uh, after a few sessions with me so there are these sort of experience or things like that that needs to be shared more or talked about more stories like me and my mentee and to kind of let other people who might be under represented in certain uh, mentoring or other area of uh, inclusion work then um, to, to share those stories or to share those sort of experience because in the women at least network I think we we try to open up or, or offer opportunities where people can share their first lived experience and their kind of how they support themselves and how they how they manage their day-to-day -day challenges etc so I think it, it's important we talk about that that really surprises me, actually, that you said the first bit that you said, which was um, often not very proactive in finding mentors in you know, your experience of being from Hong Kong and that culture. Is it because it's more a sense of someone will approach me and say, may I mentor you? And is it seen as you don't go and ask for that because of the, the structures and the hierarchy? Sorry, did you mean going to find a mentor or mentee? Yeah, going, so you, when you were saying um, at the beginning, when you answered this question, that it's very rare that people are that proactive from your experience in Hong Kong of finding mentors, is that because the expectation is that someone senior will come and tap you on the shoulder and say, I'd like to mentor you? Well, I, I am kind of not in touch with the current things happening in Hong Kong, but I think in my when, when I was in Hong Kong, there were these sort of standards or, or tick box uh, mentoring scheme again. And you are you you're welcome to apply, and they are usually have a mentor mentee relationship. And, but the mentee don't look for the mentor. Like for example, the Aurora program that I joined a few years ago. Mm -hmm. You as a mentee, you are supposed to find your mentor and you approach them, and you ask how 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 you can work work that out with the support from the uh, advanced HE sort of um, uh, help sheets, etc. But that was also the experience that I approached four or five mentors and I was rejected every single time. So I got my mentor now. I think she was my fifth <laughs> approach. And I thought if I don't get this, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something else. So this is this is how difficult it can be if it's like if you're not doing it through a system and then you you're approaching. And I don't know whether this is this has got something to do with my shortlist or to do with my uh, Chinese background. I have no idea. But I'm glad that I have my current mentor with me. Um, but I'm saying that um, my point is, is it can be difficult to find a good mentor if you are a mentee and not have a kind of centrally operated program to help you yeah. find this person. And if you have no experience at all, and um, it can it can be difficult.
It also puts a lot of onus on the mentee, doesn't it, or the potential mentee, because uh, if you need support or guidance or you want to have that relationship, it's another thing and it can feel really overwhelming. So, yes, I think those structures in place, so it makes it easy for people and it removes those barriers. Exactly. Yeah. And I think those people can be a lot of time who might have imposter syndrome or who might be shy or who might be too busy to do that and who might know what they want, but there's never an opportunity. So if there are something more formal, something like a podcast or, or some other kind of information sharing uh, platform where people can access those opportunities, I think that will be of great help. Yeah, thank you. And so what, what do you think, if, you had a, if I give you a magic wand, Karen, and you're going to introduce the ideal mentoring program into workplaces, what would that look like? How would you, you know, stage it? What advice would you give? What should workplaces be doing to create these genuinely deep mentoring relationships? Yeah, I think this, um, this is a very good question. Again, um, I could always imagine or I dream to have this sort of uh, space. Uh, I would describe it as a virtual space here now after COVID, everybody's working from home or most people I know working from home, that this virtual space will provide a, a safe space for people, either mentor or mentee, to talk about things that will help them progress as an individual. And this space will also give them or allow them to have these conversations and, and share their vulnerability and share what they what worries them or the you know the barriers and the things that might be stopping them being their full selves either it's structural or individual internal external so i think it's important to have that space where people are kind of let into a room or or, or big space and then they can then find the the right people they can then find the right mentor or mentees or they can then um say can i can i ask this person or a mentor can then Ask can I can I re ask any mentees doing what 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 bothers you or what what is your biggest worries and then the mentee or you know a conversation space where they can they can have this sort of uh, discussion and that that is the kind of informal space to talk and then when they build up that okay maybe we can actually work with each other closer then they can then build that more kind of close working relationship following that initial conversation or something like a you know the, the it's like a matching is a good way to describe it a matching process where mentor and mentee don't just be, be put to become mentor mentee in the first place but they can actually get to know each other a little bit and think whether they suit each other and then they can move on a bit like maybe speed dating or something like mm -hmm. they get to know a little bit about this person and whether this relationship will work first and um, but it but that relationship needs to kind of also open up a bit. I mean, sometimes these are all, always like closed door discussions and no one really know what happened. And I think a lot of minority uh, people from minority backgrounds are not having as much access to um, men mentors um, as, as they want, like, like my, in my experience, because they are, because the, the underrepresentation of the workplace, it's, um, it's not always easy to find a mentor who have the experience, the power and the time and the energy to help you, you see. So if we can kind of almost like borrow the time of the mentors or people who are, who are able to share their kind of um, career progression uh, experience with the early career people or, or the, the um, newcomers, um, and then we can then talk about that more then, then that can actually increase the, the uh, influence than just 
one mentor matching one mentee. Does it make sense? So it, it's kind of using the time more effectively and create a bigger impact. So that's that's how I that's how I, the, the podcast idea I'm kind of developing. And um, what about training? I mean, do you think that workplaces should be focusing on training mentors to be able to have conversations, to think about cultural frameworks? Because I think often that, you know, that does get missed. It's all very much the practical side, which is important. Um, but as we know, not everyone has identical skills when it comes to creating those mentoring relationships. Um, training is definitely will be helpful, but it, it, I think it would be better it's optional as well because a lot of mentors are very very busy so if that men mentoring training will take up a lot of time and if it's not optional then it might put a lot of mentors off I mean th there needs to be a balance of having mentors that are that know what they're doing and and cover the the basic um, information and also actually allow the mentor to use their initiative to develop that relationship with their mentees and I think again that there needs to be more experience sharing so people who are in either in a mentor mentee relationship or who, who want to be involved in a mentor mentee relationship then they can they can understand how how this work and how this can benefit their own way before they actually uh, started or join a program for example yeah, thank you. I mean, I think, yes, I can see that about training, but I'm also wondering whether it's, you know, key for that to happen because often people say, oh, I don't know how to have these conversations or, you know, maybe less experienced mentors can learn from more experienced mentors. Leila, this is exactly what I wanted to do, you know. Um, that, you know, when we define mentor, mentee, it's almost like they are two groups of people. But the mentor for this person can be a mentee for another person. And that's why having the kind of bigger, can I use that word, it's called like a bird's eye view. That's if we can kind of zoom up and look down on different people in that imaginary room that I talk about, that virtual room, there might be people who can actually benefit uh, this mentor can actually benefit from working with the other mentee and then being mentored by this mentee um, and then this mentee can actually also learn from another mentor so this relationship is can be very dynamic and there's also this assumption of like the mentor has more experience and they they might help the mentees to um, develop their career etc that there's a lot of assumption there that for the, the training as well I think you, you're right about that experience sharing from more experienced mentors to the uh, younger mentors or people who, who haven't even mentored before but I think there's also an importance to to talk about that impact is that how is it going to help these mentors to kind of create an impact that will benefit the mentees because in the end the process is to benefit the mentee and to help them um, grow their confidence or to to achieve their goals that set out initially so i think the the training if there's any it will have to be very carefully designed and not too time consuming but um also it, it should be focusing on how the mentors can can get the best out of the mentors to benefit the mentees yeah thank you karen that makes a lot of sense and um yeah, that, that kind of camaraderie and peer learning is so important. So now I wanted to move on to ask about you as a really busy professional running your consultancy and with a day job. How do you look after your own mental health and what are your top three tips? Yeah, I think it's extremely important to look after your mental health. And I think, Leila, when I first um, follow your podcast, it's, um, it's that um, importance to 
to uh, improve my mental health. That, that, that is why I actually follow your podcast. And I have suffered um, quite um, bad mental health and also it, it, it turned into physical um, challenges to me as well. So the way that I look after my mental health after following that kind of nervous breakdown or whatever the doctor call, call it, like a heart attack uh, um, episode, is that some um, three words I would say rest. So that's one. So giving yourself some room to to have a space that's blank and you can actually zoom out and and stop and let yourself have a break. Give yourself permission to have a break. That's one. Two is food. So I have started to kind of look after myself, eating the right thing and especially interested in gut health. And I've been doing my kombuchas, kimchi and all sorts of things to kind of um, help grow a healthier gut. So that's, that's number two. And number three is your friends and, and your all, you can call them your, your social um, circle where you might be your friend, your family, it might be your pets. It might be, I don't know, um, your hobby or so anything that will actually kind of help you become a full person or, or not, not kind of, because when, when I had my, um, my episode of uh, mental health challenges, I kind of felt that I'm no longer myself. I thought I, I'm another person or, you know, it, it, it's the identity of losing, yeah. feeling lost. And I think after you have rest and you have good food and, you know, healthy uh, physically and then it, it will be important to have that social connection and 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 again giving yourself permission to be your full self and to kind of do the things that you want, whether it's it's going out or yeah. But if I can say more one more thing, it would be well following my big walk uh, challenges. Like I've done a 50k walk to raise money for the uh, Sheffield's um uh, what's it called Sheffield's uh, genetic disease research. So I think going out in the nature or walking outside it's definitely helped my <laughs> help my uh, mental health it's definitely good for you your body as well if you don't overdo it yes yeah thank you Karen and thank you for being really open and honest about sharing your challenges and saying how it impacted on your physical health because as you know that's something that we always talk about on the show and also you know being a listener and I'm really pleased that you found the content helpful to you um (laughs) so thank you and finally if people want to know more about your work and you how would you like them to contact you and I will of course include the links in the show notes yeah, they can um, visit either one of the three websites, um, the Two Trees Consultancy website and the White Rose University Consortium website or the Women at Least Network website. So if, if that can be included, then either way. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. We'll include both those links in the show notes. And so just wanted to say a huge thank you. A really interesting walk around the subject of mentoring, what it can look like, how workplaces can make it less tick boxy and moving to authentic relationships. Any final thoughts from you, Karen, before we finish today? I think uh, I just want to say to the listeners, you guys are very lucky to have Layla talking to you. I think I really love your voice and everything you do for this podcast. Keep following and subscribing and send it to all your friends and let them know. It's going to help more people. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. That's so lovely. Really brought a big smile to my face. So listeners, listen to what Karen said and please tune in for more uh, next week where we will be continuing the theme of personal development. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.